think of it like a mental workout. Like what's the muscle that you're trying to build in your meditation? Is it that you want to be more present? Is it that you want to be more intentional? Is it that you want to feel more of a sense of like trust and connection to intuition? Is it that you want to feel less stress? Is it that you want to sleep better? You know, what is it physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually? What are you craving? And notice in your life and it will show up. It's the beauty of meditation. Notice when those things start to shift. Hey, hurdlers, Emily Abadi here, bringing you episode 97 of Hurdle, a wellness focused podcast where I sit down with inspiring individuals to talk about everything from their big wins to how they've gotten through some of life's toughest moments. On the show, you can expect vulnerability, motivation, and candid discussions with everyone from top athletes to aspiring entrepreneurs on what it really takes to follow your passions. My mission is simple, to inspire you to be your best self, move with intention, and have some fun along the way. Today, I am chatting with meditation teacher and author of Don't Hate, Meditate, Megan Monahan. She tells me in the episode that the practice literally saved her life, something that she got into totally on a whim alongside one of the most recognizable names in the space, Deepak Chopra. Before I get into Megan's story, a quick word from my sponsor, Athletic Greens. I cannot praise Athletic Greens travel packs enough. I used to feel like I had to pack all of these supplements, all of these multivitamins, and now when I'm heading out on the road, the first thing I throw into my carry-on is the Athletic Greens travel packs. And that's because not only do they feel like they help me be my best me no matter where I am, but the Greens powder has the antioxidant equivalent of 12 servings of fruits and vegetables, as well as prebiotics, probiotics, adaptogens, and superfoods. By shaking it up first thing in the morning, no matter where I am, I know that I'm giving back to me. I am taking a step in the right direction to be my healthiest and happiest self. Athletic Greens is offering Hurdle listeners an awesome deal. You can get 20 of the travel packs I love so much absolutely free with your first purchase. Just head on over to athleticgreens.com slash hurdle. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash hurdle to get yours today. No code necessary. So now let's talk about Megan. After Googling, seriously, Wellness Southern California, Megan found herself at a week-long program at the Chopra Center that awakened her spirit. In episode 97, we talk about how meditation has positively influenced her in so many ways and really enabled her to forgive her father who struggled with alcoholism. It was through her practice that she was able to truly see him for who he was with an open heart before he unfortunately passed in 2013. We talk about how she left a job in the music industry and LA for San Diego and started working at the Chopra Center for two and a half years after that stint. After rebalancing her mind, body, and spirit, she took a leap of faith to move back to LA and start teaching the practice. Like I said, she says it saved her life and she hopes that it can change all of ours as well. In today's episode, we highlight everything from simple strategies to incorporate meditation into your life. We debunk myths about what meditation is versus what it isn't, and also dive into both of our personal relationships with therapy and how it has positively impacted us for the better. 
I'm telling you, Megan is a ray of light. Her honesty and openness, it just really, really resonated with me. As always, I love seeing you guys interact with the show on Instagram and Twitter at Emily Abadi at Hurdle Podcast. The last week of the lace-ups on Instagram absolutely blew my mind. It is so awesome to be part of the Hurdle community. Thank you for inspiring me to do what I do every single day. If you have a hurdle moment of your own to share, you just want to say hi, you can always reach out to me over email. It's emily at hurdle.us. And if you're in town, New York City this week on Sunday, I am hosting a live discussion at the New York Roadrunners Hub with the help of New Balance, 12 p.m. in honor of International Women's Day. I would love to see you there. For more details, head on over to the show notes and click the link in the episode description to RSVP. With that, let's get to hurdling. Today, I'm sitting down with Megan Monahan. She is a meditation expert, a meditation teacher, also a published author. How cool is that to say that after your name? It's the coolest. It's the coolest. Meg, where do you come from? I come from, I was born in Manhattan. I was raised mostly in North Jersey, did a little stint in Long Beach, California, but mostly, mostly metropolitan New York. Metropolitan New York. And where do you live now? I live in Los Angeles. It's much, it's much, much, much more sunny there. It's right sunny now. and warm and you don't have to think about what kind of footwear you're wearing. <laughs> it's so lovely. You're not at all spiteful at it's the so moment. It's so lovely. I just, I always am reminded when I come back here that New York makes you like not fight for your survival. We don't have to be that dramatic, but, but you have to think about your survival more. You do. You have to think about what you're wearing and what you're walking in. And if you need an umbrella, if you need to like shield yourself from the elements, the elements, you have to get yourself places with your feet and you don't have to do any of that in Los Angeles. No, it's a much easier life. It's a much easier life. Sit in traffic for quite some time. I don't have to think of any of that. None of that. All right. Well, I'm always super intrigued to sit down with anyone who describes themselves as a meditation expert or someone that works heavily in meditation, because I think the mind is just this like inconquerable, I don't even believe that's a real word, thing. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm super just interested to to hear about where you started. And obviously, I don't think someone becomes a meditation expert overnight. Yeah. So talk to me about your humble beginnings. You said growing up and living in California. Living, I did a little bit in California, mostly like North Jersey. But yeah, I didn't grow up with anything relating to meditation. I didn't grow up meditating or having a relationship with mindfulness, or even just really an awareness that I could take a break from believing all my thoughts. You know, I know a lot of people that teach meditation that grew up with, with a lot of that language in their upbringing and in their conditioning. And mine was very just New York. That was my conditioning. And it was very charmingly deprecating and self-deprecating and, and sarcastic and cynical and jaded. And I was a great New Yorker and found myself working in LA in my early twenties in the music industry. 
and being so stressed for a lot of things and a lot of reasons that we can go deeper into. And I found meditation because my therapist said, you need to do better at managing your stress. Okay. So first of all, what were you doing in the music industry? I worked at, I did a few things. I worked at Interscope for a bit, which is one of the big labels. I worked for ICM, which is one of the big talent agencies. I was there the longest. And so I always, I was always an assistant. It was very glamorous. And it was one of those jobs which is what music industry is until you become like a big wig, you know, you get paid very little for a whole lot of responsibility. Yeah. And it was a lot, it was long hours and, and it was cool. And my ego was really fed by the, the fun things that I got to do and the conversations that I got to be a part of. And that was really interesting. But ultimately once I started meditating, it was really clear that, that I wanted to talk about that and that my perspective <laughs> and my ability to, Really, my ability to take that world as seriously as you need to take it in order to thrive in it just totally changed. So what are the fun things you're doing at this time? Well, you like, you know, you get tickets to any show that you want and you get to go to like screenings and premieres and you get swag and, you know, like... Rihanna knows who you are. You know, like there are cool things about that when you're 22. Obviously, you know, Rihanna like being. 50 Cent knows my name. Like that's kind of cool for like a 19, 20 year old. Um, but ultimately that doesn't, you know, fulfill you. Yeah, totally. And I mean, <laughs> it gives you so much clout with your friends and it makes. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's cool. It's, it's cool. Of course it's cool. Yeah. So how, first of all, you mentioned your therapist. So how old were you when you started going to therapy? I was in my, um, I was in my early twenties. Okay. Yeah. So around the same time it was, yeah, it was that first, my first therapist really, I guess I never thought about that, but what motivated one. you at the time to actually seek out therapy? I was dealing with a lot of stress from my job, from my personal life. And that started coming through in ways that I had never navigated before physical symptoms, um, and challenges and anxiety might be the right word. I don't know if I would have called it anxiety at the time, but just things that I hadn't ever had to handle within myself. And, and so I started going and, and it was incredible. Physical. Yeah. Physical. I took my gallbladder taken out when I was 22 from gallstones from stress. Wow. I started having a lot of autoimmune symptoms and autoimmune kind of flare ups. That must've been really scary. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was not great. It's not a sign that you're thriving when you get non-vital organs removed, you know, at 22. It's not a sign that things are going well. Right. And yeah, and I started to get all these really, really awful physical symptoms from, yeah. from like the stress in my life. And was that something that the doctor knew right off the bat that the stress was causing these issues? Or was that something you kind of had to figure out along the way? So the, the doctor that I went to for like the whole gallbladder thing was amazing. She was incredible. She gave me like a great and very minimal scar. I love her to death. Um, but there wasn't a whole lot of mind, body, whole, like total well-being, holistic health. It was very much like you have terrible gallstones and we should take your gallbladder out. Right. Looking back, I absolutely would not have had that done so nonchalantly because it's even though you don't need it, quote unquote, there are things that I now deal with because I don't have that. Right. And right. so I definitely because I now have a different relationship with my body and with physical symptoms, especially knowing that they are often coming from, or at least in part fed by some sort of emotional imbalance as well. I would have handled that very differently. Were you hesitant to go to therapy at first? You know, I don't remember, but I don't think so. Yeah. I don't think so. 
I uh, I recently started going myself and I'm yeah. 31. So yeah. God, that took me a while. Um, <laughs> but I recently started going myself and I think there are just so many barriers that kept me from going for so long. Yeah. I mean, obviously accessibility is probably the number mm-hmm. one uh, thing that a lot of people cling to when they're like, oh, I can't afford it. And you know, mostly I just can't afford it. Yeah. And so that for sure kept me for a long time. But also on top of this idea that I wanted to believe that grabbing wine with my best friend was the same thing as going to therapy. Yeah. It's not. so sad that it's not, right? It's so, it's, I mean, <laughs> Such a bummer that, you know, cognitive talk therapy isn't the same as, you know. <laughs> sometimes it can be the exact same amount of money, though. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think if I remember correctly, my insurance covered it, which made it easy yeah. and not not a not a barrier as you said so totally well in that way but i really liked it yeah and i i've gone back periodically when i've had to work through things and i'm so fortunate that i work in wellness now so i have access to so many healers and and people that that are just in my life so i don't i haven't gone to therapy in a while but i've definitely dipped back in there have yeah. been some situational things that i just have not been able to navigate through on my own and i mm-hmm. needed a, a bouncing board um, and it's, I think it's incredibly helpful. Totally. And I think it's interesting as well. And obviously we'll get into, you know, exactly what you're doing now, but to hear someone who does, you know, for so much of their day to day, help other people mm-hmm. through their own issues, yeah. uh, to, to be outright and say, Hey, sometimes I need help too. Yeah. I think we all need, we all need people or places or things or experiences to, hold space for us to, to have an experience, whether that's a healing experience, whether that, whatever that might be. And that's the thing that I get to do when I teach and when I lead meditation and when I work with people, whether it's one-on-one or at an event is like hold space and create this container for you to just like, let go and be wherever you are, wherever you are. And I do that a lot. I receive that a lot in, in workouts that I go to with like really certain people that can hold that energy for me. So I can just like let go and exist and, and I think therapy is a really, you know, powerful way for that to be in your life as well. Okay. So you make the hard decision to go to therapy and what's going on at this time. Obviously you mentioned some physical symptoms, but mm-hmm. what else is going on in your life at this time that makes you take this leap? Yeah. You know, I, I realized that all of these physical symptoms that I started having were really a result of not dealing with this huge thing in my life, which was my relationship with my dad. And specifically, like prior to all of these things really like blowing up within me, literally, finding out that my dad was dying. Um, My dad was an alcoholic and he had liver cancer at the time. And a doctor said he has a year to live. And that very tangible, like time frame and prognosis and reality is something that I that I always knew. I I grew up with my dad and I knew he was an alcoholic and I knew that this would probably be something that took him out of my life way sooner than than I would like. But there's something different about like knowing that that will likely happen and then having, you know, a doctor in a white coat say your father has a year to live. And all of a sudden in that moment, all of the things that I hadn't dealt with all of the things that throughout my whole life, I would just say to the world or to my parents or to my friends, like, I'm fine. Like, I'm fine. Everything's fine. You know, that was my, my MO. I didn't, I thought I was doing this epic job sort of dealing with all the stuff, but really I was just ignoring it and saying I'm fine and burying it further and further and further, or specifically in my gallbladder. And at that moment, it was not fine. It was so not fine. And mentally, that was a realization. And then physically, I think that just 
unlocked all of these things. Right. And did you, at the time, I know obviously you're talking about the need to be more honest with yourself and hence your decision to speak with someone, but did you at the time uh, open up at all even more to your father or have more conversations with him because of what you were kind of uncovering? Yeah. I mean, especially once I started definitely in therapy, you know, I heard some really hard truths in therapy about my relationship with my dad, my codependency, you know, my for a really long time, you know, codependency has such a perception because people say all the time, I'm not codependent. I can be by myself. And it has nothing to do with that. Codependency for me was very much that my well-being was was in tandem with how he was doing. Right. And so the moment that he was not okay in a very real way, I realized that that I was not okay. And my ability to, you know, feel like I could control the situation, right, was so clearly not not a thing. And and that just totally shook up my reality. So absolutely I started talking to him about that. And and then once I started meditating and doing a lot of work, I started this journey of of acknowledging my emotional toxicity and the things that didn't feel okay and the feelings that I had that were not okay and where there was anger and where there was resentment. And I started to to really digest that and process that and let that go. And then I started learning what forgiveness was, right. which is not something I had ever had to really authentically offer myself or someone else or really embody. What happens with your father? So my dad ended up going, my dad ended up living longer than a year, plot twist. <laughs> um, and he did pass away several years later. And he, you know, he never was sober. He stayed an alcoholic, you know, all these things that I, that really triggered all of my things, all of my worth things, all the, you know, all of the things as a daughter. I got to this incredible place with him where I was able to, you know, love him unconditionally and let go of an outcome and, and accept the reality for what it was, accept him for who he was in this moment. And, and the amount of like peace and, and love that can be invited in because of that is incredible. I think that's so valuable. I remember I was driving with a best friend of mine so many years ago, and she said to me that it takes a strong person to allow people to play a certain role in your life that you hoped that they wouldn't. Yeah. And, you know, my dad, he and I always were, were so similar and we were so close. He quit his job when I was born. My mom like was the breadwinner and had the very like career oriented path. So she went back to work. My dad stayed home with me and raised me for the first five years and is deeply spiritual and, and someone who I still have such an immense connection with. But he, I mean, he's the reason that I found my purpose. He's the reason that I know who I am. He's the reason that I, he, he's the reason for, for it all. And his dysfunction and our dysfunction is the reason for it all. So you start to think about adding meditation into your routine. And at first, what does that look like for you? So I, 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 I Googled it. My therapist literally one day said to me, cause I, I was having at the time I was having really bad chronic hives for like months on end, like six months, eight months kind of situation. And my therapist, my, my therapist was talking to me and I said, you know, my doctor, this Western doctor that I'm seeing wants to put me on Xanax. She was like, you know, I don't think you need to be on Xanax. I don't think you have a chemical imbalance. I don't think you have anxiety that needs to be medicated. I think you just need to navigate your stress differently and learn from a different perspective how to how to process your life. And so I went home and I Googled meditation 
I actually didn't even Google meditation. I Googled wellness, Southern California. <laughs> that's how little, like, that's how little I knew. And that's how, you know, at the time it wasn't what it is now. There weren't apps, there weren't studios, none of that existed when I was doing all this. Um, it was about 12 years ago. And I found the first thing that came up was Deepak Chopra. And he has a wellness center in Southern California in San Diego. And I called my mom and I said, do you know who Deepak Chopra is? And she started laughing because everyone, I guess, except me knew who Deepak Chopra was. And, and I said, you know, what do you know about him? And is this legit? Do you think? And she said, yeah, like you should go check it out. And so I went down there for a day and I scheduled, they had doc like Western doctors that were there doing total well-being, mind, body, holistic sort of medical sessions that you could do. So I did one of those and I took a free intro to meditation class. That was like my first, like dipping the toe in. All of this was on the same day. All of that was, yeah, it was just one day. Okay. Um, and so I did this medical consultation and I heard things that I'd never heard before about, about Ayurveda, which is the oldest healing wisdom that is known to man over 5,000 years old based in India. You know, the doctor was telling me to rub my hives and to tell them and to talk to them and to say, I hear you. I'm working on it. I know there's an imbalance. Like I'm working with you to like develop this whole different relationship with these symptoms. And, and that was kind of wild, but also felt really good. If someone was to tell me to literally speak to my body, yeah. I would be like, yeah, mm, really? Yeah. It was so different. Yeah. And, and the only thing I can say is that combined with everything else that happened that day, I had this feeling of calm and this sense of like returning back to something that I already knew, but, but didn't know. Right. And it was, I don't want, I don't know if I would say it was a spiritual experience, but like maybe it was a spiritual experience within myself. And you're still working at the record label. I was working at ICM at the time, but okay. yeah, I'm still working in music full time. Yeah. And I went to this, the, I went to the meditation class, this intro to meditation class. And my first thought was, wow, this guy teaching it is really hot. Like, I wonder if he works here, maybe I could like take a course here and we could start dating full disclosure. That was my first thought, but the meditation thing was cool. And I was into that. And, and then I ended up going back down there for a week. So I did this one day and I was like, okay, I'm into all of this. I'm buying into this feels authentic. These people feel knowledgeable and and I trust all of this. And so I went down for a week and it was a really big leap of faith because it was money that I definitely didn't have to spend on this really immersive seven day, like total mind, body, spirit cleanse and rebalancing. Right. And I went down there and after that week, it was just so clear to me that, that that's the world that I wanted to be in. So interesting because, you know, like I like running, but mm -hmm. I was never like, you know what I'm going to do? Yeah. I'm just going to start running full time. Yeah. It was, I had the sense that I could like heal there and through all of this work. And then I had this really driving desire that I guess I would now call like a sense of purpose to share this with other people. Right. Because I experienced such a profound transformation with, with meditation, with yoga, with using Ayurveda and Ayurvedic principles in my life, I experienced such a transformation that the idea of helping other people that were struggling, you know, mentally, physically, in some way, it was just unthinkable. Describe to me what it's like there. Yeah. So um, at the time, it was in uh, North San Diego County on the property of a resort called La Costa. So it's this very, it's like the classic Southern California, like white with like the, the terracotta roof and like this gorgeous resort setting. And 
and the Chopra Center at the time was there and um, you know, it all smells like sandalwood and and you're just getting really taken care of. Yeah. It was just this overwhelming sense of being like loved on. And I think that so often, you know, and this can be for anyone, whether you're in a serious relationship, if you're unattached, if you're married, if you're not married, so often we feel so alone that we just want that sense of love from Mm -hmm. someone. So to be able to walk into this atmosphere and just feel so overwhelmed with like this bigger sense of like, I got you. Yes. Yes. Must have been insane. Absolutely. You know, and it didn't hurt that part of that week involved like balancing daily Ayurvedic massage treatments and food was being, you know, it was just really like you're being taken care of. Right. Okay. So after this week, you have this <laughs> overwhelming sense of purpose, which I mean, I, I feel like many people that go through there probably mm-hmm. feel the same way. Yeah. And you return to your My job. job. Mm-hmm. How was that? Within a year. I mean, within a year I quit. Yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't that I hated my job or that I hated that industry. It was that I felt such a pull to this other thing. Right. And so what do you even know is possible for you with this pull? Like, it's not like you can just go there and live this life where they're taking care of you yeah, all the time. No. Obviously, you need to make some sort of living uh-huh. out of it. Yeah. I. It was one of the first things that I can that I can clearly point to and say, I. and I teach about this now, but I took such a leap of faith and surrendered completely and was placed in the highest possible expression of the desire to like work in wellness. Cause again, much like my like ignorant Googling where I was like, wellness, Southern California, when people would say to me like, well, you know, I talked to my mom or whoever in my life and they'd say, well, what do you want to do? And I would say, well, you know, I want to work in wellness. That's, I didn't know. I didn't have any experience. I didn't have any direct skill set to, right. to be doing this. I just knew I wanted to work in wellness and I wanted to help share what I had been exposed to with other people. And the first thing that I did was apply for a job at Lululemon because that's what you do when you're 24 and in Los Angeles and you want to work in wellness. Right. You apply to a job at Lululemon. No brainer. Which um, which I didn't get, sadly, although I'm an ambassador now, so it really, it all worked out in the end. But <laughs> um, I didn't get that. But around that same time, I, and I'll just tell you this like quick story. I ordered some herbs from the Chopra Center. So I was taking all these Ayurvedic herbs. I ordered a bunch online. They sent everything to LA and they sent me the complete wrong order. And I was so annoyed. Like the New Yorker knew was so annoyed. And how do you do this? And don't you have people that check these things? And right. So I went into that very judgy place for a minute and I called them and I said, you know, I need to, I guess, send you this stuff back. And who do I talk to about getting the correct shipment, you know, et cetera. And they put me in touch with the person in products and the person in products who was working there used to be my like contact. So every time you go to an event there, you have a person that helps kind of walk you through that whole journey. And she said, oh my gosh, how are you? I remember you. How's it going in LA? And, and I said, well, you know, it's going great. I want to work in wellness. So I'm just seeing what that looks like. And, and after about 10 minutes, she said, you know, I think you'd be so great in this position that's open here. And I said, oh, okay. And she said, why don't you send me your resume? And two days later, I went down and I was hired on the spot, which never happens there. And three days from the beginning of this whole thing, I signed a lease for an apartment that I could afford, but like couldn't afford unless I ended up being good at this job kind of a situation. Yeah. And I moved down within a week. So you sent them your resume, which had nothing to do with yeah, wellness. Yeah, no, nothing. Yeah, How no. was that? Were you nervous about that? I wasn't. No, I don't. 
and again, it's sort of an inex- inexplainable sense of trust and surrender and almost like, I don't need to do anything except get out of the way. I don't need to do anything except be in massive alignment and integrity with who I am and like the values that I have and trust that that I will be dropped where I need to be. You know, we get like so in the way of making the things happen that we want to happen in our life. Same thing with like getting a book deal. I always tell people getting a job working for Deepak Chopra without applying for a job and without having any experience and getting a book deal are the two easiest things that have ever happened. And I know that makes no sense because those aren't necessarily easy things to do, but they took the least amount of like external effort and the most amount of internal alignment. Mm -hmm. So talk to me about your first day on the job. What are you doing? So the first job I had there was being a program consultant. So the person who, when you want to go to an event or when you need to kind of navigate the various offerings and healing modalities available there, you talk to this person and tell them what's going on in your life. And, and they say, here's how we can help you. So I was, I was that person. So I essentially just got to build relationships with people that were just like me at one point, looking for healing, looking for inspiration, looking for purpose, looking for, you know, all of it. And, and so I spent about three and a half years doing that and it was incredible. And I was exposed because of that job to all of the teachers that taught through there. So whether it's like Wayne Dyer or Marianne Williamson or Eckhart Tolle, or obviously Deepak Chopra, I, you know, I just was immersed in this world of exposure to all of that and to people and their journeys. And during that time, I also got certified to teach meditation, which was incredible. So that's where I did my training and my studying and, um, and all of that. What's that like? What's the process like to become certified to teach meditation? So when I did it, it's changed a bit. Um, but when I did it, it involved going to a seven day, like 13 hour a day meditation retreat with Deepak. It involved going to a four day Ayurvedic immersion. So kind of like a crash college course in Ayurvedic wisdom. It involved about a hundred hours of home study, like books and testing and memorizing things and learning. And then it involves a week of, again, like pretty like 13 hour day teaching, practice teaching, testing. It was a lot. Yeah. It was pretty immersive. Yeah. Yeah. I see so many like meditation teacher trainings now that are like a quick, you know, day long. And I'm like, oh, it takes so much longer than that to embody these things. And I had the added, obviously the added bonus of working there. So I was, I was in it. You know, I really left my life. I left LA for about three and a half years and just immersed. I think what's, I think what's also interesting. And I I sat down recently uh, with Knox Robinson. He's a, a runner and a writer that lives in New York city. And he and I were talking about what happens when you do something like hit a marathon personal best. And there's all, there's almost like a moment where you kind of have to mourn what was and open up to what can be. And so for you completely abandoning this other life to now open yourself up to all of these possibilities, did you at all have moments of hesitation or were you scared or, I mean, I'm sure you felt quite vulnerable. I definitely felt vulnerable. I, I felt extremely guided by like an internal intuitive force, I will say. So it didn't feel, it didn't feel scary. It felt 
different and new and unknown. And one of the biggest byproducts of meditation is this sort of comfort in the uncertainty, this comfort in not knowing. And, and again, starting to embody and align with such a deep sense of trust and surrender in my life that had already started to happen for, for a lot of reasons. And, and it also just kept feeling really good. So at no point in that, in that first three and a half years, did I ever experience anything or, or have a moment where it didn't feel, it could, it could feel scary or it could feel new or it could feel intimidating or, but it, it didn't ever feel bad. Right. And so when you were going through the training to become a meditation instructor, did you know that you definitely wanted to teach? Um, yes. Yes. I didn't know what that looks like. Right. Cause I, cause I didn't have any idea what, and that, and it really wasn't an industry at that time. Right. So I didn't know what that looked like, but I felt very compelled to share. Right. Yeah. I think that, I mean, because you do hear of a lot of people that go to things mm -hmm. like yoga teacher trainings yeah. and then even, you know, do that again and a few rounds of it. And I know many individuals who haven't actually yeah. gotten to the point where they're teaching. It was just a really spiritual, special mm -hmm. experience and opportunity for them. Yeah. A lot of people do that. A lot of people with, with a lot of trainings. Yeah. Do it to just like deepen their own relationship with, with a meditation practice, with a yoga practice, with cooking, you know, with whatever it is. So also like three and a half years in, you're living in this completely different place yeah. from a personal standpoint. How is that? Cause I'm sure you left behind friends. Yeah. I'm not sure if your family moved out to LA or what was going on with that. Yeah. So I've always been, I'm an, I'm an only child. I don't know if that's why, but I've always been a really independent, you know, my mom jokes when she would drop me off at like sleepaway camp that I'd be like, okay, bye. And she'd be like, do you want to hug? Like, should we have a moment? And other kids are crying and you know, I'm like six years old. Like, I'll see you later. Same. So I, so it, it felt, it always felt really exciting. It still does really exciting for me to go to new places. Like I love traveling by myself. I love going to cities where I don't know anyone. I I've always found that exciting. And I went to, um, I went to a co-op college, which is a, I went to Northeastern in Boston, which is traditionally a five-year program. And you go to school for six months and then you go get a job for six months. So I had these six months job experiences. And I went to LA for all of mine. So I actually went to LA for the first time by myself when I was 19. Wow. For six months. Okay. When I didn't know anybody. So, so no, going, leaving LA and going to San Diego was like easy, easy work. Easy breezy. Um, easy work. My parents at the time were living in Los Angeles. They both retired pretty early and came out to visit me and then didn't leave for like a few years. Okay. Which was great. Okay. So you are a certified meditation teacher. And you had this great job, which you must have turned out to be quite good at and was at able it. to afford your apartment. Yep, I was killing it. I did great. <laughs> so then what happens next? So, and I think that there must have been a part of that intuitive voice that said, you need to leave before you get too comfortable here. Interesting. Because I had this, all not all of a sudden, but for about six months, I had this very burning desire to leave and go back to LA. And teach meditation. And I, again, kind of like the first time I had no idea what that looks like or how I would make money doing that. I had no clients and, and I did, and I quit my job at the Chopra center and moved back to LA with no, and I'm not necessarily advocating major life leaps of faith without a, you know, security nest or blanket, but, um, I moved back to LA and I started quote unquote teaching meditation and 
I had a side, um, a friend of mine has an event company. So I had like a side job with him. And then I just started being open to teaching meditation. And I had like one client in New York that I would like remotely meet with. And, and I slowly started getting introduced to people. And then the first ever drop-in meditation studio, Unplug Meditation, um, was about to open in LA. And I got, you know, I got a job teaching there. And, and it just all, again, it was a lot of trust and a lot of surrender and a lot of being okay, not knowing. Right. And I think what's really interesting about this is it's not like someone sat you down and they were like, this is exactly how you do what you no, want to do. No, 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 no. So that could have been a I little bit no disconcerning as no well. I had no idea what I was doing. Again, I felt guided by something so incredibly strong, so much stronger than any fear that I, that I may have had. Right. And so um, how does that first year of teaching go for you? It was, a, I mean, I was in, I mean, I was hustling for three, four years. I'm still hustling just in a like slightly more concerted, you know, intentional way. But for a while it was just nonstop, like whatever I can say yes to, whoever will let me come to their office and talk about meditation, whatever event will let me come and lead a meditation. It was just a lot of planting seeds. And I did end up getting kind of pulled back into the Chopra Center as well during that first year. Um, and I, which was a really amazing blessing. You know, I left that, um, left that job really clean and with like nothing but love and, and gratitude and like, I wish everyone well and thank you for this. And then really quickly they were like, well, but what if you come back and just do, and just help us with the events and just come. And so for a, several years I worked with them and would just go down to San Diego or go to the events and help on the back end of those. Um, which was an incredible experience and gave me a whole other skill set around events and planning transformational experiences and events and weekends and things like that. So, so that was pretty incredible. And, and then that ended up just with Chopra specifically transitioning into me hosting and teaching at the event. So it's really been quite a like journey with, right. with that. Right. And so you, when does I'm just like saying yes to absolutely everything. Like, when do you feel like you kind of get a little bit more of your footing? Yeah. You know, the, after the first, after the first year and a half, maybe I stopped doing any side work and just was teaching. Mm -hmm. So I was saying yes a lot then as well, because I created a whole lot more space. And, and then I would say after that next year, so maybe like two and a half years, mm -hmm. three years, it was a little more, okay. I have some like direction and I know where I'm trying to take this. I also was, you know, how I think about it is like, I was really putting in reps as a teacher and finding my voice as a teacher and becoming a great teacher. Cause it, you know, even if you have raw abilities to communicate or to, you know, inspire whatever that might be, it's still practice. Right. Learning how to, learning how to hold space for people, learning how to hold space for a room, learning how to, you know, read a room and energetic, you know, there's a lot that goes into it. So I was, I, I always think about it as I was doing just all the reps. So, all right, you're established, you're teaching meditation, you're living in LA. And can you say for sure at this point that you're like truly happy about where the path has, like where you have meandered your way yeah, down the path? So happy. Yeah. So, so happy. And when you're going back and forth between where you're living and the Chopra Center, do you think again about returning to do anything there full time? Mm -hmm. No, you know, San Diego is gorgeous. I was in North County, so it was really, it was a much slower pace and coming from New York 
to LA is one thing. Going from LA to San Diego or North County, San Diego was a, was a very different thing. And at that time I knew that I needed some fire to, to drive me and to keep me going. Cause, cause I was having to create nobody, you know, nobody was, I didn't have a full-time job. Right. right? I didn't have someone giving me days off. I didn't. So it was really up to me to continue to like motivate myself to do this thing. Even when I was tired, even when I, you know, it's hard to be like an entrepreneur, I guess oh, I is feel what you would call it. It's, there's like a constant low grade hustle and, and weight of that. And the energy of LA and the ambition that is there is something that I really could feed off of and still do in a really positive way. And where does the book deal come into the mix? So yeah, that happened. Um, that happened, you know, several years later at the end of 2000, 2018, I guess, 2017, maybe I was emailed by a publisher and the publisher said, have you ever thought about writing a book for millennials on meditation? And I thought, yeah, I thought about that. I could do that. And, and so I sent them kind of a rough, I, I just sort of thought of a book. It's not, people always ask, is this the book you've like always had in you? And I'm like, no, <laughs> I just thought of it because someone asked me and I said, right, sure. Right. And so I emailed them some notes and. And that ended up not being a good fit with this one publisher, but it got me thinking about what a book would be. And during that process, my friend introduced me to his book agent, who then started helping me navigate that conversation. And when that didn't end up coming to fruition, she said, you know, why don't we finish your proposal? And then, you know, we'll shop it around and and see what happens. And so I wrote a book proposal and I figured out how to do that. And we shopped it and sold it. And I wrote a book and... That was scary. The other leaps of faith weren't so scary. Writing a book didn't feel scary until I signed a book deal. And then I thought, I have to write a book now. Like, I'm not a writer. Right. I mean, I'm I'm a good writer, apparently, because I wrote a book and I think it's great. And I didn't have a ghostwriter or anything, but, but it wasn't like I had a process or, you know, any idea how to do it. How long did it take you? And how long is the book? I had, it's 50,000 words. Okay. So it's like, it's like a book book. Oh yeah. It's like a real book. Oh yeah. Like 200 something pages. Um, I wrote it in six months. And during this time, were you still teaching and doing all the things? Yeah. Why would I like take time off and give myself <laughs> extra space to do this massive project that I signed a contract for? Um, yeah, I was still teaching. Okay. Yeah. Oh, and I meant to ask you, so how long after you had arrived at the Chopra Center did you notice that a lot of those physical symptoms started to go away? Oh, they started to really pacify within, um, I would say within like a year. Yeah. And I kept having things that I've been dealing with. And I actually just recently found out something that I think is probably the core reason for all of it, which is kind of exciting that I'm rebalancing a little bit more exciting. I don't yeah. know. I mean, it sounds like you find well, the, the one issue. It might be a little problematic. Well, it's the thing that I can balance that was probably causing right. all of the other like chronic things that I've dealt with. Mm. But yeah, I mean, since I went there, I've had such a different relationship with, with my body, which has been right. Important. Talk to me about what it feels like when your book comes out. Oh man, I had to live while I was writing the book. I could so clearly see myself having written the book. That's why even when it got scary, it never got debilitatingly scary because I could so clearly see the future moment where I was on stage talking about the book or where I was sharing the book or right doing meditations from the book. So while I was writing it, I was kind of constantly living in this future place because that's what made it doable. 
Yeah. And that's what allowed me to trust that I would figure it out and, and like, you know, intuit what I needed along the way or hear what I needed along the way. So when it finally came out, it was a little, not that it was underwhelming, but it was like the timeline caught up with where my mind has been for six months. If that makes sense, kind of like training for a marathon. Like you get to the marathon and you're like, oh, I've been in this place in my head, like every time I train and every time I, so the actual moment, the actual moment that it felt real was I did a book launch in LA and it was, it was on a Friday night in West Hollywood and, and it was amazing. And like a hundred people that I just adore came and just threw so much love at me. And that's what felt really, that's what felt very real. And very much like, oh, this is in the world and, you know, people are receiving it. And I did my first book sign, you know, like that felt very surreal and and cool. So then talk to me what life looks like these days. Life is, life's nice. I'm working on another book. So I'm entering that whole project again. I am teaching, I'm still teaching. I'm hoping to travel a bit more for speaking events and for conferences. Um, I'm still teaching with Deepak Chopra and his events. Um, it's not, it's not all that different. It's just a little more, I have a little more space. Right. So like the hustle and grind has definitely slowed down a bit. And now, I mean, I'm sure all the time you get people messaging you saying things like, I just feel like I cannot. Everybody. It is not in my wheelhouse. I am not meant to meditate. Yeah. So if you had to tell this person, which you've done so many times before, like two or three things to help them make space for meditation, what is it that you tell them? Number one thing I hear is I can't meditate. I have too many thoughts. To which I always say, everyone has thoughts. As long as you have a pulse, as long as you're alive, you're going to have thoughts. Meditation is not about silencing your mind. So don't try to do that. And once you get okay with the fact that there's going to be activity, it's so much easier, right? To sit in it. Number two, I would say nothing needs to happen for it to work. You know, we have this idea that it needs to feel like a certain something where you need to have the aha moment or you need to, you know, see the Buddha riding a unicorn, whispering the meaning of life for it to be a good meditation. All you have to do is do it for it to be a good meditation. And and then the other thing I would say is look for the benefits of your meditation to show up outside of your meditation. Right. So what does that look like? So it looks like getting clear with why you're doing it first, first and foremost. So, uh, you know, think of it like a mental workout. Like what's the muscle that you're trying to build in your meditation? Is it that you want to be more present? Is it that you want to be more intentional? Is it that you want to feel more of a sense of like trust and connection to intuition? Is it that you want to feel less stress? Is it that you want to sleep better? You know, what is it physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually? What are you craving? And notice in your life, and it will show up, it's the beauty of meditation, notice when those things start to shift. Because what tends to happen, and it's happened with so many people that I've you know worked with, we all start meditating for whatever reason. And then that reason starts to pacify and it starts to get better. And then we stop meditating because everything got better. But that's like with everything, it's right? With everything. It's like we with start running. eating clean, exactly. we start working out, we start cleaning every Sunday because it makes us feel great on Monday, right? Whatever it might be. And then we stop doing the thing that made us feel good because we feel good. Right. Like Same we, with antibiotics. Yeah. Right. <laughs> we pay attention to like where the pain is. Exactly. So I would say be really conscious of why you're meditating and really look for that to show up. 
And then, I mean, do you have any simple strategies or tools that you suggest to individuals who are having a hard time jumping on the bandwagon? I would say to start scheduling it, like put it in your schedule every morning. First thing that you do when you wake up. So that's the next question. Is when to do it? Yeah, because I think that, and this has definitely been my experience in the past, is that like first thing in the morning is hard for me because I, if I do it then, I either need to get moving or I need to go back to sleep. Yeah. So for me, what I did find was either if I came back from the gym after I showered, yeah. then I could meditate yeah. or, and this is a little bit wacky. Sometimes I lean into it at like four o'clock in the afternoon. That's a great time. Yeah. Like earlier in the morning is usually better if you have a lot of things that you do, mm-hmm. or if you then have to get up and go to work. Right. The, Cause everything will seem more important or more fun than sitting and doing nothing, which is what meditation feels like until you start to like feel the benefits and see the benefits and like see the magic unfold in your life. Meditation feels like sitting and doing nothing and everything feels more fun than that. Everything feels more important than that. So if you have like a day, I like to meditate after I work out also. So my perfect morning is waking up, working out and then coming home and meditating and having tea. Like that's the (laughs) ideal morning for me. But if you have a lot going on, the more, the earlier you can do it so that it's not in that list of things. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Cause I think that we all wake up and we feel yeah. like the day is the mountain. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Or, and, or the other time I usually say is after the most productive part of your day, which for uh, a lot of people is between like four and seven. Interesting. So, mm-hmm. Okay. And what does your meditation practice look like now? So I teach mantra meditation more than anything else. That's the lineage that I was initiated into with the Chopra Center. Okay. So it involves silently repeating a mantra, which is Sanskrit for mind vehicle. So it's this phrase that you silently repeat, um, a really good universal one. I give people mantras based on their birth information, but a really good universal one is so hum. It's the one I use in the book. So hum, which is the sound of your breath and also distills down to the essence I am. And the reason that that's a really great universal one is because you can link it with your breath as you inhale, silently repeat. So as you exhale, silently repeat hum. And then you give your mind two things to anchor to. You have that breath, which is always there. And your mind can anchor to that thought, which is what a mantra is. You're just repeating this one thought and this one thought, because it's in Sanskrit and because your native tongue is not Sanskrit, doesn't mean anything to you. A lot of people, you know, whether it be on social media or when you sit down with them, they seem, they, they look at someone who seems, although you might not feel this way all the time, oh, grounded yeah. And, yeah. and present and, and here to help. When you look in the mirror, what is it that you see looking back at you now? Gosh, I feel and I see such a, and this took so much work. I did not wake up like this for the record, for the very official record. I see a lot of contentment. I see a lot of peace. I see a lot of trust. None of those things really are things that I would have ever said at one point in my life, and especially the lightness. And then you have an opportunity right now to offer yourself a piece of advice when your father is told he has a year left to live, when you are going to therapy and, oh dear, working yourself like crazy (laughs) in the music industry. You have an opportunity to offer yourself one piece of advice during that hurdle moment. What do you tell yourself? to let everything go and to let love in. Let love in. 
that's it. Thanks so much for sitting down Thank with me. Thank you. Please take a moment and leave a quick review by clicking the link with the description to this episode. We all have multiple hurdles in life. I want to hear about yours. Reach out to me at emily at hurdle.us. Connect with the podcast on Instagram and Twitter at Hurdle Podcast. Meg, where do they find you? How do they keep up with you? Oh, you can find me on Instagram. It's at Meg Monahan. That's the thing that I'm most active on. I do have a website that has some information and info on the book, which is just my name, meganmonahan.com. And you can get my book on Amazon at bookstores. Wherever books are sold. Wherever books are sold. <laughs> <laughs> I am at Emily Abadi. Another hurdle conquered. Catch you guys next time. <laughs>